Hello and welcome to The Plotting Shed. You're listening to Rachel McCarty, founder of plotplots.com and author of the book I Want to Like My Garden. Each week, The Plotting Shed discusses different aspects of garden design, but we focus on things that other books don't really talk about. I hope you enjoy this podcast and do please hit the subscribe now button so you don't miss another episode. Well, hello and welcome back to the penultimate edition of The Plotting Shed in this current series. We have one more to go and then I will take a short break over the summer. And we'll be back in mid-September with all of the information about the flower shows that I've been to and lots of useful advice and design advice and letting you know how you can make your gardens better in the autumn. But before I go into this week, I just I I will just let you know, I did go up to Chelsea on Monday and it was very lovely, although you have to leave before the Queen arrives, so I didn't get to see Her Majesty. But it was great because I got up there at about 7.30 in the morning. So there were very few people there at that time, which meant I could fly around and take lots of photographs of all of the gardens before other people had got on them. And there were some fabulous things and some really, really interesting, lovely bits of, of plants. But one of the things, I will blow my own trumpet I'd recently done a couple of designs for some customers and my colour themes and the plants that I chose and the plants that I use in certain ways, but definitely the colours, are very definitely on vogue with Chelsea. I was really chuffed with myself that what I like is actually now what other people like. And also one other thing that I get lots of garden design inquiries and I asked them what colours they like and they said, oh, not orange, don't like orange. Well, we're going to have to show you how orange is a fabulous colour to have in your garden because orange was all over Chelsea in little pockets of very happy bits of colour along with some of the deepest, darkest purples and lime greens and a few reds but some of my favorite flowers i haven't seen for a long time geums geums are such good flowers to have in the garden and they were little pops of orange and pops of red and they looked really really stunning so i and i was walking around thinking yeah i like happy gardens orange is a really happy color this year i have done so much designing in blues whites and purples and pinks that I really think we need to push the boat out and put a smile on our face because those little pops of orange around all of these border designs were just delightful. I'm busy writing the posts about the Chelsea Flower Show and then all when I get to Hampton Court and Tappan Park as well. So I'll put my favourite things on there. So you'll have to have a look at the website in a few weeks time and you'll see all the bits and my favourite things that I thought were really, really good and well done at Chelsea. There were a few howlers, I have to say. That poor lady, I was there uh, standing next to the garden when the poor lady fell in, in Joe Swift's RHS garden. And I'm not surprised, to be honest, somebody did. It was one of those gardens where it was supposed to be for the public to be able to walk through. Well, it was always a disaster. And I have this one thing about Chelsea is the way that they use water in rills. 
they're show gardens. They are absolute ankle breakers, some of these water features that they have in some of their gardens. But that's a little soapbox moment I shall leave for later. Anyway, on to our last discussion about what gardens can throw at you in terms of designing in your space. And I thought I'd just kind of go beyond the fence today. And it's how your immediate environment impacts your garden and what you could do about it. Most of us do live in communities and we have properties and houses and roads and buildings and trees and everything all around our garden. And it does create each garden's own unique environment. Yours might be that it's susceptible to wind uh, because it's quite exposed. It might be that yours becomes a, a real heat source sun trap. It may be that your garden is pretty overshadowed by tall buildings and you don't get an awful lot of direct natural sunlight in there. And what you can do to mitigate what your environment throws at you. There's also things like pollution and noise and noise from people and how are there any little tricks that we can use to make our own small garden space that little bit more of a sanctuary for us? And obviously, yes, there are. So I thought I'd talk first of all about pollution, because obviously when you're sitting in your garden, the one thing you want to be able to do is not smell like car exhausts and, and you want it to be a, a clean, green environment. Unfortunately, there is a bit of a paradox here because the best plants for absorbing pollutants are not necessarily the most attractive ones. And if you want to create a cordon from the fumes around you, if you live near a road, for example, then you do need to use these plants because they will filter the air. So things like hawthorn and cornus and hornbeam and, you know, the really spiny pyracantha firethorn that you see in gardens and cotoneasters, which is not one of my favourite plants because it really is a bit scraggly and ugly. But cotoneaster is probably one of the best plants that you can use for filtering out exhaust fumes. It has hairy leaves and these just capture and catch the exhaust particles and dirt particles and, and atmospheric pollution particles. So if you've got a cotoneaster hedge on the windward side of your garden, the side near the road, it will really help filter the air, but it isn't very attractive. So what can you do? And I think we need to have the practical, but we have to try and find a way to make the practical beautiful. And the simplest way that you can beautify what is really a fairly mundane looking hedge is to Get some really big planters on your side of the hedge. We want to grow plants into this hedge, but they can't compete with the, with the hedge for the nutrients and the water. So give them their own space to grow. And then I think basically just plant clematis or other annual climbing plants that will die back so you can cut the hedge and then you can regrow them again. And these plants will scramble their way up through the branches of the hedges and just give you an additional flowering season. So it's a very, very simple way of beautifying a hedge. 
and you can have a couple of big planters, two or three clematis in there that will flower at different times of the year. But most importantly, keep them as ones that will be able to be cut down so that when you do need to cut the hedge in the winter, you're not pulling out and disturbing all this clematis. So don't have things like the Montanas and stuff like that. You want the smaller ones that come up and go down. There's lots of different places that you can have these early midsummer and late flowering clematis and then you cut them down to nearly ground level in the winter and up they come again. Another issue that we have in gardens are ugly views and it's a much more difficult problem to tackle. Now we all see what we have a tendency to do is there is an ugly view so I'll block it out. Tall hedges, big trees, so we block the view. But don't forget if we block the view out, we also restrict our view inside as well. So I think there are alternative ways that you can tackle an ugly view. Now it may sound blindingly obvious, but if we flip around the conventional garden layout that we have, sometimes that can actually work really well. If, for example, you have your patio outside your back door and you look out down the end of the garden is a maybe an industrial unit. Think about this. Why not, as you step out of the back door, you walk through your garden, walk through the planting element of the garden to get to the patio. Then when you sit on the patio, you put your back to the ugly view and you look back towards your house where the planting is in front of you and it gives you something nice to see. We can't affect what's outside. All I'm doing is trying is saying to you, let's just think a little more laterally and create something nice to look at inside. And if that means moving where I sit, then that's a very simple solution, isn't it? And then you can look at things that you choose to look at. Don't fall into the let's block it out so I can't see it forever category. Because we tend to use the gardens in the summer. And if we create a block, we also block out our own light to the garden, which makes it harder to grow things inside our garden potentially. So maybe you only need to think about blocking that view when you use the garden the most which is the summer. You can erect garden sails, though when you're sitting there, it just distracts and takes away the ugliness of the view. But there's also another way as well, and that's to use pergolas and things in the garden, because if you create a, a large pergola around your patio, you will feel enclosed by the pergola, which then if that is planted, that becomes your view. It's a close one. I mean, obviously it's right up next, next to you, but that is your view. And also we do have neighbors as well. You know, the neighbors can view in and we can view out. Now, this is something I have discussed in previous podcasts, but again, rather than enclose ourselves, we've got to make ourselves totally private from everyone else around us. Think about making only where you sit totally private, because that way you don't create big green walls. You don't envelop yourself in a garden prison. 
nobody can see in, but nobody can see out. So again, it's using that perspective, like I've said before, if there is one window or a couple of windows that look into your garden where you're sitting, where you enjoy sitting, use your, use your thumb as the perspective. If I place something for as far away from where I'm sitting as possible, where does it need to be to block out that window? So you might not need to create an entire wall bank of, of green obscuring foliage. You might just need to strategically place a one tree that will give you the privacy you need. But in terms of your environment and how you are and how your garden is, it's about thinking what the priorities are. What do I really need to hide and how can I turn that around? You know, how can I deal with that problem? I can't get rid of it, so how do I manage it? Well, I can manage it very simply by looking the other way. If I look the other way and seek my garden so I look away from this all the time, it won't feel so obvious. It's still there, but it won't just be front and centre in my viewpoint all the time. Now, the other thing about our environments, obviously we use the gardens during the daytime and we use the gardens at nighttime. And lots of people like to light their gardens, but this changes the environment of the garden. Now, I went to the Landscapers show last year and I was listening to a talk by a very um, intelligent chap who does a lot of lighting and street lighting for councils and for large companies and installations and but he's also an expert at how light affects wildlife and the the basic principle is this the more blue light you have the brighter more intense bluey white lights the more you disrupt the navigation systems and the feeding patterns of night flying insects. So if you want to have garden lights, keep them at the redder, more, less intense part of the spectrum. And also very much just highlight, don't floodlight. Because we don't need to have all of the area lit up in order for us to be able to use the garden. Just think about the minimum amount of light that you could put in that might enable you just to walk down the garden, for example, or that uplights one or two things. It will be much more impactful than just having a whole lot of ambient light and creating it like an outside room. You are in the garden. You are outside. It is nighttime. Don't try and make it like a, an inside room in terms of the light that you have. So think the minimum. What would be really nice just to highlight something? There are now some really brilliant solar lights, for example, that you can wrap, and these are on the little thin wires, you can wrap these in and around trees to create these tiny, tiny little fairy lights, but they're very yellowy light, they're not very intense, they're not very bright. But in a dark garden, they stand out. But if you had a floodlit garden, they, they wouldn't. So think about what is the absolute minimum that you can use in, in your nighttime environment that will make the garden beautiful and usable, but won't make it a place that is difficult for the wildlife to fly around and, and find its own food. 
other things that we can use in our gardens is the sound and the sight of water because it is a great distraction. Anything that moves, we will watch. So water features, you know, you have the little balls and the water runs over the top of the ball and you can catch the light and see the reflections. You can focus your attention on on those sort of things. And they're much better than, for want of a better phrase, the wee-wee water features. You know the ones where you just have this sound of tinkling water running all the time. It's not a good noise to enjoy in a small garden for obvious reasons. So think of quieter water features, but that use light to play with the water as it runs across the surfaces, because you will watch it. And ultimately, this is the key. This is not about creating big things to hide the external problems that you have. Where you do have a less than attractive external environment, what you really need to concentrate on is the micro in the garden, the bits that you that will draw you in. For example, if you have scented flowers, it draws you in to smell them. If you have really tiny, tiny flowers, but that are really quite bright and intense, you will be drawn in to look at them. If you use plants that attract insects and butterflies, again, your attention will be drawn into the small area to focus and concentrate on what you see there. Like with the water features, if it's there, you will come to touch it. You can put your hand and the water will run over your hand. Everything is drawing you into the micro. Make that really interesting. Use light and shadows and reflections to create small pockets of interest near where you sit. Because if we're watching all of those, you just don't pick up so much what's going on outside your garden, the bits that you can't influence. It's all about controlling what you can control and and making that as beautiful and as interesting as possible. And the rest of it then doesn't seem to, it becomes background noise. It doesn't seem to be so intense for you. Lastly, the one thing I would say is probably about the most important part about the that your external environment, and that's your weather. If you work with the weather that you have, the plants that you will have will thrive and and do what they do by themselves. The important part being, if they do it by themselves, you don't have to. Now I am, and I've always said in the past, I am a lazy gardener. I love gardens, but I don't really like gardening particularly. I don't wanna do all the propagation and pricking out and potting on and everything else. I want to sit in a beautiful space that makes me feel happy, makes me feel relaxed, makes me feel calm, makes me feel part of nature. So if you introduce lots of plants that are at odds with the little environment of weather that you have, you are going to introduce work for yourself to keep those plants looking as good as they can do. And the worst thing about a a small garden is having plants that don't look very healthy and don't look 
like they're growing particularly well or they're a bit thin or a bit scraggly or their leaves are wrinkly because they're too dry and it's too hot an environment for them. You're right up close next and personal to these plants and so you notice it all the time. In a small space, you need to make sure that the plants that you are going to use will enjoy that space. And the way to think about it is this. What is the worst the weather can throw at me? Will this plant survive the worst of my environmental weather? And if it will, then when the weather is nice, it's only going to look at its best. So it may be that although your aspiration is to have this really lush jungle type experience like one of the gardens was at at Chelsea this year had these huge tree ferns and this lovely sort of shaded canopy of green and it was it was very pretty but it would be an awful lot of work daily in an average urban garden that has heat reflected from the walls and dry nights and cool nights and hot sun and drying winds to keep those plants looking even remotely fern-like. If we are going to enjoy our gardens, we have to be practical. If we are going to enjoy being in the space outside, we have to tackle the problems or or manage the problems that will annoy us or make our sitting outside less enjoyable. And that's not always about covering them up, smothering it over blocking out everything else. It's about cherry picking and prioritizing. Prioritize the big problems. What do I really need to solve? Having a water feature that I can put my hand on when I sit on the patio will give me a sense and ground me in that space and make me notice my immediate environment so I don't notice the noise from the road outside. So think about that in in the priorities and the practicalities and design back from them. Because if you solve those problems first, then when you design your garden and put the plants in, it will only enhance and make things better. So next week, it's the last one. Goodness me, I hope you're going to have a wonderful summer without listening to me. But it'll be on a word about weeds. I want you to rethink your thought processes and your feelings about the dreaded garden weed and how we handle them. Because life can be made a lot easier if we just readjust our thought process. And this is very on Chelsea, by the way, because they're all doing it now. So you can be bang on trend. I'll speak to you next week. Bye for now. Well, thank you for listening. You have been listening to Rachel McCartane of The Plotting Shed. If you've got any questions about this podcast, please email me, rachel at plantplots.com, or you visit the website with loads of different information on garden design and gardening advice, along with planting plans that you can download. You can look at the designs that we've created. So do take a look and please do hit the subscribe now button so you don't miss another episode. You can also donate if you go onto the website plantplots.com. There's a little button there saying you can buy me a coffee. So all donations will be hugely appreciated. Thank you very much. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your garden. Take care and stay well.